Father, we see you and we love what we see. We want to see more of you. We, we want to see and behold your glory each day more fully. And Father, that longing is one that is met and then exceeded day after day. And that will, Lord, forever be our experience. You are infinite and we are finite. We delight to explore the greatness of your majesty and that is our occupation for eternity. And so today we take another step in a, a never-ending journey of exploring your greatness. We pray that the glory that is revealed in these verses would land upon us by the power of your Holy Spirit now. Lord, move and work and stir, convict, encourage, build up, root out, do what only you can do as your word is proclaimed. Build your church, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Luke chapter 1, verse 57, small town celebration. We're in a, a little town in the hill country of Judea, not far from Bethlehem, somewhere around there. Uh, you'll see the backdrop here. This is part of the Judean wilderness. It is uh, kind of like Yakima, only without the sagebrush, okay? We're talking pretty barren, pretty rough landscape. And I want to point this out to you because these events take place largely in this kind of terrain, um, maybe a little bit more wooded where uh, the birth takes place. But then John the Baptist is in the wilderness for his growing up years until he enters into ministry. And uh, so it gives us a bit of a visual to, to put to the context of these verses. Verse 57, now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth and she bore a son and her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. Okay? So here is just the, uh, I mean, summary of all of these things that take place. And we know at childbirth, there's a lot of stories to tell. And thankfully, I didn't pass out at childbirth. It's a miracle that that didn't happen. But there's always something happening at the birth of a baby. And here, just, it has to be noted, um, she bore a son. Don't forget who we're talking about here. This is Elizabeth, who is advanced in years, okay? She is an old lady. Now, bearing a, a child is a challenge for any woman. But a woman who is advanced in years, whose body has become more and more frail over the, the, the course of time, this is no small just, oh yeah, well sure, she had a baby. Yeah, of course she did. No, this in itself is amazing. That an older woman could bear a son and live. And the son lived. And by the way, this is the old school ultrasound. Okay, when Gabriel shows up and he says, you're going to have a, a child, it's going to be a son. Okay, we assume that, oh yeah, well, we, we checked out. We found out that Ethan was going to be a boy. We knew that. Not so back in this time. So not only is an old woman going to be uh, pregnant in her old age, but she's going to have a son. The angel says it's going to be a son, and it's a son. That also can't just be assumed as we move through these verses. This is an amazing thing. The other thing I thought that was significant here is to notice the journey of reproach to rejoicing. Don't miss this. Her neighbors and relatives are a part of this celebration. 
they have heard, obviously, word is spread through all of Judean uh, wilderness area and the hill country that this older couple is, is going to have a child. And there's some interesting things attached to it. There's some prophecy happening. The Lord has been quiet for 400 years. That silence has been broken. And so they're interested and curious. And then all of a sudden, it comes to pass as promised. They gather around and celebrate. Now, keep this in mind because the birth of John the Baptist is something maybe a little more normal of an experience than the birth of Jesus himself. Think about the absence of next week of family and celebration. There's no family celebration happening. There's no friends gathering around and rejoicing. So it's significant. I think Luke parallels these accounts because he wants us to see that when John was born, there were neighbors and friends and relatives who were saying, this is awesome. We're celebrating this birth. And so they gather. This is a fulfillment of prophecy, just as Gabriel said, so it came to pass. What an awesome thing. Now, let's consider how this goes, because it's not always a blessing when everybody gathers around at the birth of a child. Let's, let's read these verses. Verse 59, uh, And on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child. Uh, one note here, Zechariah still can't talk. He, he is still restrained. He can't make any noise. And so the child has been born. Now eight days have passed, and he still can't talk. If you're Zechariah, you're starting to get a little nervous. Maybe the Lord, you know, overdid the, the whole mute thing. Uh, maybe the remote died and the batteries are dead and he can't turn the mute off. I mean, I, what am I going to do? I can't talk still. So eight days pass. They come to circumcise the child, and they would have called him Zechariah after his father. But his mother answered, No, he shall be called John. And they said to her, None of your relatives is called by this name. And they made signs to his father, inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And he asked for the writing tablet and wrote, His name is John. And they all wondered. Okay, so... You have some dynamics happening here. First of all, we've got to kind of understand the circumcision thing. Um, this is not just a medical practice. This is uh, an obedience, an act of faith. This is part of what sets faithful Jews apart, is that this command to circumcise on the eighth day, according to the command of the Lord, is a sign that you are coming out from all of the other peoples on the earth to be a people set apart, holy unto the Lord. And what Dan showed us this morning, it's not just the act of circumcision. It's the heart of faith and obedience. And I think that's also in view. If anyone understands how important it is to obey the Lord, to trust him at his word and, and do as he says, it's Zechariah, who hasn't spoken a word for at least nine months because of his lack of faith, his sinful disobedience to trust what the Lord had said through the angel Gabriel. So they come to circumcise this baby boy on the eighth day. And here's part of the thing. The, uh, there's a lot of tradition, ceremony that goes into this. You have to have at least 10 witnesses when you're going to do a, a formal circumcision of a Jewish baby boy. Typically, you would have someone, either the father or someone maybe a little more medically uh, uh, equipped uh, thankfully, 
I didn't have to do this. I would have passed out for sure. Um, so, but the father is there, and he has a lead role. However, Zechariah can't speak. So this is a little tricky, and it puts some dynamics onto this ceremony that make things a little complicated. Now, if you've ever chosen a name for your child, and people are like, oh, what are you going to have? Well, we're going to have a boy, we think, at least. Okay, so, oh, what are you going to name him? We're not going to say, right? Or, or you, you throw it out there, and then you wish maybe you hadn't. Ooh, ooh, wow, really? That, yeah. Hmm. Is anyone in your family named that? Because that's kind of a weird name. Oh, but oh, what, what if you shorten it? Is, are they going to shorten it? What if kids shorten it? Have you considered the initials? That's a, t- ooh. Have you ever, anyone ever had this experience? I hope not. But it does happen. We didn't tell anybody what we were planning to name our kids because we wanted to spare the drama. But here's the deal. John is born. We're, we're eight days in. And so the question begs, who are these people who have such uh, an adamant opinion over the naming of this young child? Who are these people? Well, they're friends and family. The neighbors, people who have heard about this, I mean, word would have traveled rapidly about what took place with Zechariah. And, and especially if they're excited about the Lord doing something special. I mean, what if this is, in fact, the Messiah? Who knows? What if he is to be the one prophesied of old? And there would have been people, I'm sure, who were believing that. And so they are very excited, very focused, and very intense. And as we know, sometimes when family gets together and friends get together, there can be some drama, okay? And we've got a little drama happening. Uh, A lot of the research that I did suggested that this was quite uncommon, to name the child at circumcision was not the norm. In fact, this is one of the only places in the New Testament that you see this as a practice. And uh, even in the Old Testament, it was quite rare. The, the names were given uh, at birth. And the idea that you would name after someone in the family is also not common. So you have a lot of question mark, and I think there's things that we just can't see in the dynamics taking place here. But why did they push so strongly for the name Zechariah to be given to the baby boy. Well, Zechariah's name means God remembers. Or to build it out, God is faithful to his promises. He is is to be counted on. He remembers. He's not forgetful. He's faithful. And I think there is a sense in which the people see the meaning of Zechariah's name and witness this thing happen. And they're saying, this is really amazing. Zechariah is the perfect name. In fact, Zechariah would have been quite famous at this point. And so they're, they're thinking, well, my goodness, this, this name matters. It should certainly be passed on to the child. We've got to vote for Zechariah over here. Okay. But then the response from Elizabeth is, it's not just, no, I think his name should be John. It's no, emphatic, strong exclamation point no he shall be called john he shall be called john and i couldn't help this past week kind of rewinding the tape and 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 asking the question why john obviously well the angel carried the message that he is to be called john 
And that's what Gabriel said the Lord commanded. But, but why the name John? You ever wondered that? Names in the Jewish tradition are always significant. And many times they were to be descriptive of the person, the personality, or the, the purpose of that child's life. So Zechariah, no, I have a, a name specific for this child. John is his name. Hmm. The name means this. God is gracious. God is gracious. And we should see this. This is a statement from God to his people. I am a God of grace. I'm a God of grace. Now, what's fascinating is to consider John the Baptist's life and, and really the role of his ministry was in, in large part to pronounce judgment on those who didn't repent. But if that's all we see, we miss the whole point. His, his purpose in his life was to pave the way, to prepare the way for Christ the Messiah and to call people to repent and to place their hope in God in the one who would send a Messiah to save from sin. And so this is a statement. At the birth of John, at the circumcision of John, in John's life, a reoccurring theme. I am a God of grace. I am a God of grace. Grace being unmerited favor. I will show people blessing, lavish love that they don't deserve, but it's who I am. And I will choose to show it anyway. The, the question then goes from these quite opinionated family members and friends to the dead. Because they don't like the response that Elizabeth gives. And they're like, well, fine, okay, that's what she says. But this guy who can't talk needs to chime in here. Settle it, Zechariah. And he's like, you know, give me the writing pad. They, apparently they'd become quite good at, at writing out what he was thinking. It's interesting, too, they made signs to Zechariah. Some have suggested not only was he unable to speak, but he was unable to hear. He writes out this. Notice this. He didn't write, his name will be John. He wrote, his name is John. It's done. We named him. This is not up for debate. And everyone was kind of like, oh, Okay, all right. Pipe down out there. The name has happened. His name is John. What does this show us? Obedience. Obedience. Zechariah has had a long time to think. A, a long time to, to think about who is God. Is anything too hard for the Lord? And in fact, he is a father for the very first time as an old man, and he's looking at this baby boy, and he's thinking, I want to get this right. I, I want to I honor the Lord. I want to please him. I want to obey him. There's no question about the name of this child. Obedience to the Lord. Now, Zechariah's praise. Look at these verses. Verse 64. Immediately, his mouth was opened, and his tongue was loosed, and he spoke blessing God and fear came on all the neighbors and all these things were talked about all uh, through all the hill country of Judea and all who heard them laid them up in their hearts saying what then will this child be for the hand of the Lord was with him 
if you had gone for over nine months and not said a word, the first words out of your mouth would be significant, would they not? What would be the first words Zechariah spoke? Now, there could, a, a lot of things that he could have said. Hey, guys, let me tell you how it went in the temple. Remember? I went in, and then I saw this angel, and then he said this, and then I was like, I don't know how that's possible, and then... So, I mean, he's got, he's, there's a lot to fill in. What's he going to say? I'm a dad. Look at my baby boy. That's my son, right? I mean, there's so many things that could have come out of his mouth in that moment. The first thing he said was, praise the Lord. Lord, I bless you. I bless you. Now imagine what that would have been like. Everybody's there. They're all gathered around. They're arguing about the name. He writes it out. It settles it. And then, bless the Lord, oh my soul. Oh, there would have been silence. When it says fear came upon all of their neighbors, it is a deep reverence that is being spoken of. They, they feel the weight of this moment. He's speaking. This is right. His obedience is now in view. And they spread the word throughout all the hill country of Judea. This child is different. Something, you get, you watch this one. This one's different. Something significant is happening here. We don't know what it is yet. We're not really sure how this is all going to unfold. But this is a momentous event in the history of Israel. What an amazing thing. Now, we're given the words of Zechariah's praise as he not only blesses the Lord, but then he moves uh, in the stirring of the Holy Spirit to prophesy, just as Elizabeth has done and Mary has done. Uh, this is now Zechariah's turn with his voice rekindled by God. Listen to what he says. His father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel. For he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy priests of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. He is praising God. And then, as quick as he begins his, his prophesying, his attention moves from his child to another child. Don't miss this. Uh, John the Baptist is not in the line of David here. This is, this is something totally different that he's speaking of. He is beginning to speak of how the Lord has redeemed his people. He has visited his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation. He's not even talking about his own son now. He is pointing to Jesus through the power of the Spirit. Now, Mary, don't forget, Mary has spent three months with this couple. There has been a lot of conversation, probably a lot of tablet writing going on. Communication. Mary has sung her song for this couple. Whether Zechariah could hear it with his ear or was able to, to see it written out, he understands that the role of his child is to point to the role of a far more significant child. 
child in the line of David. What's interesting about these, uh, these words that come out of Zechariah's mouth is that they, they begin to address promises of God, the covenants as they were. This is an, a reference here to the Davidic covenant. To your kingdom there will be no end. The line of David, I will raise up the king of kings. He will be a descendant of David. The horn of salvation. When you consider this phrase, we were talking about this in Sunday school recently, and uh, the horn of salvation is seen as the, the most strong weapon of the animal. His horn. It's where strength is. And it is that which he uses to attack and defend. And that's where the strength is. In the New Testament, we see the helmet of salvation, right? Same thing. It's right here. It's the horn of salvation. Who is the horn of salvation being spoken of here? Jesus Christ, the son of David. He speaks of a child who's not yet born as he celebrates the birth of his own. And that's exactly what John the Baptist's life is to do. So in the power of the Holy Spirit, his father echoes the purpose of his very son, in this world. It's amazing. The Davidic covenant is celebrated and brought to the forefront. And then he goes on and he says this, verse 72, to show mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all of our days. Okay? So now we have addressed the Davidic covenant, and now we're moving into the Abrahamic covenant. In you all nations shall be blessed. This is the echo. This is the, the pointer, the fulfillment of that promise made all the way back in Genesis chapter 12 to Abraham. God keeps his promises. He keeps his promises at the perfect time. And in his way and his way alone, he brings to pass exactly what he has planned. The Abrahamic covenant is celebrated in the words of Zechariah. Don't miss what he says here. This is kind of an amazing thing to consider that we may serve God without fear in holiness and righteousness. And you have to ask the question, how is that ever possible for sinners to do? How can sinners like you and me, people who have offended God, we're, we, we've transgressed His law, we have taken glory that is His alone for ourselves, we have committed an infinite offense against the holy and righteous judge of all. How could we ever stand before him without fear, let alone serve him in holiness and righteousness? And the only answer is there must be another covenant. There must be something more. There must be a hope. And that hope has always been focused upon the Messiah, the one who will come. The problem is, in this time, all of the future anticipation was a political realization. Yes, deal with Rome. Deal with this oppression. Let's recreate the monarchy. Let's get Israel back. Let's get a king on the throne. 
Let's do this again. And they missed that the the Messiah's fulfillment was far bigger than a political thing. It dealt with the heart. It dealt with sin. It dealt with holiness and righteousness and forgiveness. In you all nations on earth shall be blessed. It dealt with the Gentiles as well as the Jews. What an amazing thing. He goes on to describe what I would say is a reference to the new covenant. The new covenant. This is what Jesus referred to here. New covenant in my blood. This is the fulfillment. This is the only hope for sinners to ever serve the Lord in holiness and righteousness. It's through the the work of Jesus Christ. He says this. He addresses his child, John the Baptist. You, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord and prepare his ways to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins. Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. Don't miss this again. He, He just did it again. Look, he begins by addressing his son and then pointing straight to Jesus. You, my son, my child, you will be called prophet of the Most High. All of a sudden, he's talking about Jesus again. Prophet of the Most High. The one who paves the way, who points to Jesus. What an amazing honor this is for John to carry, to be chosen by God to be created in the womb by God in an elderly couple to serve uh, the role of of paving the way for the Messiah. We're going to see, however, that as with most prophets, it was a difficult assignment and one that ended in his death, much like nearly all the prophets. It was a lonely assignment, one that John carried well all the way to the end. Prophet of the Most High. Right in the middle of this is a significant line. To give knowledge of salvation. There's our word. That's the longing. Salvation, right? Come and save. Come and save. How? Through the forgiveness of their sins. Oh. Now, as Luke writes this, and the history kind of passes and time takes place and they begin to look back and see this, oh, the clarity with which they can see that they couldn't at the moment when Jesus was in his his earthly ministry. They kept thinking political, overthrow, deal with the Romans. Salvation, though, here is forgiveness of sin. This is the work of Christ. This is what he was accomplishing. And the long-awaited sunrise. I don't know if you caught this, but there is a reference here in verse 78 to the, the last word that was given by the prophet Malachi before this gap of 400 years passed. Listen to what he says. Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness. 
This is the most anticipated sunrise that's ever occurred. After a season of darkness, there will be a sure and certain painting of the sky in the east. I should turn this way. Rising of the sun. It will come. He will come. Let me show you what I mean from Malachi. But for you who fear my name, God says, the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. This is Christ. This is a reference to the Messiah, the coming one who would save his people, bring healing and hope and forgiveness. What is it to experience this for us? If you've ever worked with cows, wave your hand if you have. There's, I know we've got some cow people out here. Yes, look at this. Okay, now if you haven't raised your hand, go find these cow people and then ask them to show you a calf jumping out of the stall. It's incredible. They come out of the stall jumping and skipping and, and running and, and they do funny things, don't they? they? They're just joy. They can't even contain it. Legs are bouncing around. And they're running as fast as they can. They're excited. They're free. Friends, that's, that's the freedom we have in Christ. You who once were slaves of sin, held captive by Satan, have now been set free just like a calf from the stall, leaping for joy. The sun of righteousness is about to break across the eastern sky. Luke chapter 2 is coming. Forgiveness, freedom, and eternal joy in Jesus. This is what he speaks of through the Spirit's prompting in his words as he celebrates the gift of his firstborn son. Now, the final verse we're covering today is this, verse, uh, verse 80. The child grew and became strong in spirit. He was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. I want you to think just a moment about the dynamics of having a very old couple give birth to a baby. How long will they be around? Not long. In fact, many believe that John the Baptist was orphaned at a fairly young age. And he lived out in the wilderness, whether with the help of others or on his own, certainly on his own for uh, the significant part of the time before he started his ministry. When we were touring Israel just a few months ago, the suggestion there was that he became a part of the group of the Essenes, living near Qumran and faithfully writing out the scrolls of the Torah I don't know if that's the case or not. He maybe would have spent some time there. Who knows? Uh, they certainly want to claim him. They, they, they're, they're convinced that he, in fact, was an Essene right there at Qumran. But he was lonely, most likely. He was orphaned. But friends, he had a father. He was not fatherless. The Lord was his helper. And he prepared him for an incredible ministry. This was the first wave of, of, of light just washing over the land as he preached boldly. And we'll see some of 
his ministry and its impact. Hmm. And so the birth of the prophet. A few things to draw our attention to by way of response and application for us today. Uh, I just picked four. There are many, and, and let the Lord land these words in your heart different ways. Here are four that jumped out for me. Number one, uh, God cares about the details. We have a God who cares about details. He's not a God that only concerns himself with the big, important things or the most influential and important people. He is a God who is actively involved at every level. As the kids sing, he's got the whole world in his hands, right? The little tiny baby in his hands. You and me, brother, sister, in his hands. So when you pray to this God who is, don't pray as if you're bothering God with insignificant things. Bring to him every single thing that weighs on you. He delights in details. His name is John. He will be born in this month. He will be born uh, in, with this purpose. He will prepare the way in just this way at just this time. All the details of our lives, God is actively involved in. Number two, God is faithful even when we fail. This is the song of Zechariah. I think if he were to sing one similar to Mary, you know, the Magnificat, maybe his would be focused on the faithfulness of God in the face of our failures. Because, friends, we do fail, don't we? I love that prayer. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. What an honest prayer. I trust you. Help me trust you more. He knows we are weak. He knows we are but dust. And he meets us there in his grace and his love. In fact, you could say it this way. God will often grow our faith in the furnace of our failures. God can strengthen our faith even when we blow it and fail. Zechariah, I'm quite sure, did not make that mistake again. He put his trust in the Lord. Is there anything this God cannot do? The answer is no. No. Number three, God is tender in mercy and great in love. I love just read through these words that he speaks as he prophesies this this glory of God. It is such a revelation of God's heart. Who is this great God? This almighty, all-powerful, all-sovereign one. Who is he? He is a God who is tender in his mercy. He comes close to those who hurt, to those who are oppressed, to the slaves of sin, to those lost in darkness. He comes and he says, you're my child. You, You were my enemy, and now I bring you in, and I adopt you to be my child. How great is his love? Oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus. Vast, unchanging, boundless, free. This is our great God. 
it can never be stated too much of the mercy and the grace and the love of God. He loves you. He loves you. This cross stands as a testimony of His love. We deserve it. And out of His love, He sent His Son to take it in our place. That is love. For God so loved the world. Number four, the freedom of forgiveness in Jesus. I wish I had a video of a calf leaping from the stall. Do sheep do that, Fred? Sheep? Yeah, they do funny things. Goats even weirder, I imagine. You've watched some goat videos. The freedom of forgiveness in Jesus. Friends, are you overjoyed at the work of Christ in your life? When you think of what you deserve, when you think of the litany of your sins, just begin to count them. It's amazing that you're forgiven. Who am I to be the object of this affection? We don't deserve it. But we've been set free. And it's like watching a calf just bolt from slavery, from being bound up, the freedom of that joy. It will never end. It is eternal. We should walk through this world with the greatest expression of contentment and satisfaction and delight in the fact that once we were slaves and now we are free. And someday, my friends, He's coming. Jesus is coming. And He is going to come in a very different way than He comes as we read about next week. He is going to put down all of His enemies, tread the winepress of the wrath and fury of God, and He will establish a, an authoritative and unshakable kingdom. And we get to be a part of that by His grace, to live happily ever after. Let's pray. Amazing love it is, O oh God, that You would show this love to us is, is amazing. We are the nothings. We are the failures. We are the sinners, the rebels, the outcasts the tread down, the insignificant, the perpetrators. And now, by grace, Lord, we are children of the Most High, sons and daughters adopted in all of grace. We give praise to you for this good news. Thank you, Lord, for the, the grace and the love that you just lavish on us. We don't deserve it. <laughs> and that makes our song even more joyful. We have been set free. We know you. We see your glory. We love you. We pray that we would live lives this week reflective of this reality. Lord, help us to keep this sharp and in view despite the challenges of living in this broken world. It's darkness all around. And yet we have light. We're called to shine like stars. Help us stand out, Lord in joy and gratitude. In Jesus' name, amen.